Hi, I'm Jacqueline Kinser, and for the past five years, I've been helping families all around the globe to overcome their breastfeeding challenges. And this is the first non-clinical breastfeeding podcast that shows you how to rock breastfeeding and master motherhood through practical tips, mindset shifts, and honest conversation to create a confident and empowering breastfeeding journey. This is the Breastfeeding Talk Podcast. Welcome back to the Breastfeeding Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Jacqueline Kinser, and I am really excited to bring you an incredible story. It's not just a mom journey today. It's a parent journey, and we're sharing the story of Heidi and Prince Sabina. They were my clients just last year, and they live in Africa, so getting help was not as easy there as it can be for people in the U.S. or some other countries or continents. So we're going to be diving into the story of their daughter, Ruby, and breastfeeding her and tongue and lip ties and what it's like to deliver a baby in a third world country in the middle of a pandemic. It was a little bit nuts. And we're going to just be talking a lot about the logistics of things, how breastfeeding ended up going for her. It's a very dramatic story, if you will. But I also love that her husband, Prince, he was a very involved partner and parent from the very beginning. And he's sharing his perspective as the dad in this journey too. So in part one, you're going to be hearing about the beginning of things with Heidi and Ruby and what Prince saw happening and their initial steps of working with me. And I will encourage you to stay tuned for part two, which will be released next to finish out their story, see what ended up happening with Ruby, how they finally got everything resolved and where things are at today. So this is a story of tongue tie, of an incredible marriage, of perseverance, of pandemic of so many different things. Honestly, we cover a lot in these two episodes. So I can't wait for you to dive in. I can't wait for you to meet Heidi and Prince. Let's get started. Welcome to the podcast, Prince and Heidi. I'm so excited to talk to you today and hear everything about your story with tongue tie and breastfeeding and all of the things. So say hello to everyone. Hi, everyone. everyone. (laughs) Tell everyone where you live and then any background you want to share about yourselves or your family. Well, I will start. So my name is Heidi and I'm originally from Michigan and I, my career for a time was, I was a dental hygienist for about 11 years. And then I just really began to just feel this call in my heart that I wanted to do missionary work, just work with people in Africa. And in 2004 was the first time I came over to Uganda and I worked with high school students and um, was just kind of discipling and mentoring and doing counseling and stuff with high school students. And then I was here for all together. I kind of went back to the States for a little bit. And then I came back full-time just knowing I wanted to be here long-term and I was single at that time. And then when I was, um, here for about five years. Then I met this handsome prince whose name was also Prince. 
And <laughs> yeah, we met and we met underneath a mango tree at a, a student meeting actually. And um, yeah, it, I just remember being very impressed with him. And then we ended up dating and we got married in 2014. So May 31st, we'll be celebrating eight years in marriage. And it's just hard to believe it's been that long. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. you. Thanks. And we have three beautiful daughters. Naomi is six and a half. That half's very important. And we have a five-year-old whose name is Hannah. And then Ruby is 11 months old. She was born June 1st of 2021. So in like just weeks, I'm going to have a one-year-old and it's just gone by so fast. So it's crazy. Yeah. But I will share, let Prince share a little bit about himself. As my wife has said, we live in Uganda and uh, we're here. We do something called business as mission. So that's we build businesses with the goal of helping people here, provide jobs for them, but also help them come to know God. And so I run a couple of businesses here in Kampala. One is a safari company and, uh, and the other is we grow and process coffee. And so I and I both love coffee and uh, we love to also sell it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a little bit about me as well. And Prince is Rwandan and he, because of the genocide um, many years ago, he Mm -hmm. was, it was not a great place for him to grow up. So his parents sent him to Uganda. And so he's been in Uganda since he was about nine. He um, went to different boarding schools, went to university here and, um, and then just began his career here. So that's kind of how we met here in Kampala, which is the capital city of Uganda. So we live in Kampala, Uganda and I've just this year clocked um, 15 years in Uganda. So it's really home. All of our girls have been born in Uganda and that's all they know. And they're Mm. American citizens, but they really don't know what it's like to live in Uganda at this point. So we'll be coming back to to America, right? Sorry. Um, So we'll be coming back to America. Yeah. Pretty soon, maybe next year. And then we'll have a chance to live there for about a year before we come back and just keep we're willing doing what we're doing. So that's us. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing. And that's just honestly an inspiring story, I think, for both of you, just the path that you've taken in your careers and just your mission-driven you know, life that you're living. And it's really beautiful. And so Ruby is really the one that has brought you on the podcast today. And I cannot believe that she's almost a year old. That's just wild how quickly they grow up and you've got three girls. So, you know, but mm-hmm. tell us a bit about Ruby and, you know, how really you and I met, so to speak, because we obviously haven't met in person, but hopefully one day we'll have to get to mm-hmm. find a way while you're here in the States for a year to get together. I think that'd be so fun. Yeah. Well, Ruby is our third baby. And I'll share, but Prince is here, especially because he has great perspective on, you know, mom brain (laughs) brain and then all the emotions and just the drama of all of that postpartum time. And so I really like lean on him so much. So I'm thankful he's here to help, but I'll start it off. So Ruby was born five weeks early. She was born at 35 weeks. And that was such a surprise. We had a scheduled C-section 
for the, towards the end of June. And so it was May 31st. It was our anniversary and I was just feeling great. And my mom was coming over from um, Michigan in you know, about two weeks. And so I, I was not prepared. I didn't, I didn't have anything packed and all of that. I just thought when my mom comes, we'll kind of, you know, cover that. And so I was really just trying to take time just to enjoy being a mom of two little girls and just really focus on that before, you know, the newborn comes into the house and and now life is now changed. And so just had a really great day, felt great. And then the next morning on June 1st, um, woke up and had you know all these cramps and contractions and went to see my OBGYN and he did some things, you know, to try and get the labor to stop, but ultimately it didn't stop. And so they just rushed me to, as they call it here, the theater, they rushed me to the operating room and, and delivered by C-section Ruby. And immediately they were like, she's a baby girl and she is not breathing very well. She's crashing and we need to get her to the, the NICU right away. So they rushed her off to the NICU. And then, and at that time, Prince was away. He was about eight hours away up in the mountains with the coffee farmers. So he was rushing home. So I was really on my own and which I think now with COVID that happens quite a bit, but anyways, he finally got there and yeah. And COVID was really starting to begin to really pick up again was our second wave. Mm -hmm. And it was the hospitals were really starting to fill up. You were seeing like trucks lined up and with all the people with the hazmat suits on and things like that. And so we were not really allowed to spend a lot of time with her in the NICU we could go in once in a while, but they are, our NICU is, we're in a, a developing nation here. And so the doctor that I have in the medical care, like they're really very knowledgeable and skilled, but just, they don't have a lot of resources. And the NICU is just very tiny and compact. And there was no thought for kangarooing or any of that stuff. So Ruby was in the NICU for the first seven days of her life. And then we Finally, we're released to come home and I just love breastfeeding. I really wanted to do that. Like I I knew that this was going to be our last baby and I wanted to have a very successful breastfeeding journey. I wanted it to go at least up to a year, maybe longer because I knew it was our last baby and I wanted just that bonding and just all the health benefits and, and of course, just even the cost of it and just the convenience, like so many great reasons for breastfeeding. And so that was just in my mind. That was my goal. I always said, I'll just take it lightly, but you know, that's my goal. Can um, I ask, were you pumping yes. while Ruby was in the NICU then? Yes. yes okay. I was. What does that look like for people who are listening, who might not know what it's like to give birth in a developing country? How did you get a pump? What was available to you? Like, did that go Okay. I'm glad you asked that question. <laughs> it was awful. Yeah. I think we had to get a manual pump at first. At first. And it, the nipple shield was, it was painful. Like for a very, very tiny nipple. And I have larger ones. So it was just so painful. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to die. It just was awful. Yeah. And then a friend of mine was sharing my story with her sister and her sister had just previously and not very lot, like about eight months before I had a baby. And so she said, well, I'll send my pump over. It worked well for me. Um, so you can do it, but just no, there's no options for nipple shield sizes. There's no talk about elastic nipples. There's like none of that. And so I used hers, but it was 
better than the manual, but it was, it was just a single one. It was just excruciating, but I had nothing to do. I just had to do it. I I mean, the, the NICU nurses were just saying, you must bring us. I don't know how much yeah, it was like, it was like something a, like, is it an ounce every, an ounce every, every two, two hours? hours and I would take it down to the, yeah, get that. Nature. So I just, wow. um, you know, I was getting the colostrum out like little tiny drips and we would take that down. So yeah, I did pump while I was there and it was just really hard and discouraging for sure. Um, especially because I'm on Instagram all the time. So I see all the options of what is available in the U S and yet it's like, there's just no possibility of getting it. You just have to have somebody bring it over, especially during the time of COVID. Like it's hard to get things right now. So, yeah. And I foolishly, because I just, I just was so confident I was going to breastfeed. I had breastfed Naomi and I, I breastfed her up to a year. And then I breastfed Rube, um, Hannah till seven months. So I just thought, no, I'm just really going to do this. I'm more knowledgeable. I didn't even buy a pump. I just thought, no, I don't need a pump. I just, I'm just going to be, I'm a stay at home mom. I'm just going to breastfeed. You know, I don't, I don't, I hate pumping. I'm just not going to do it. So I didn't even buy one at all, which was so dumb. So then we came home and we were trying to breastfeed and she was just so, I mean, she was little as every newborn is, but such a little mouth. And I had worked with lactation consultants, two different ones, one with Naomi and one with Hannah here in the country, but they were not the the best. So I didn't want to go back with them again, but I had learned a lot. And so I knew about latching and all of that. And I was working really hard at that but it just wasn't working. She was falling asleep all the time. Like she was just a sleepy baby. So I thought it's just a newborn. I kept trying. She would try to nurse. We might get a good latch, but then it would just slide off very quickly. We just kept working and she would nurse and then just fall asleep. But she was so, when she would wake up, then she was still hungry. And I just, I don't know. Like, I just felt like I I was on every lactation consultant. I was reading and reading and reading and I just, yeah, like it just wasn't working. And and I think the first two weeks, I think we didn't realize what was going on because she was still very uh, sleepy. You know, you would breastfeed her and she would go to sleep. Didn't make a sound. She just had jaundice. So we would take her out and mm-hmm. uh, for sunbathing. So it seemed okay. But once those first two weeks passed, then then she started showing she wasn't gaining that she, weight. Yeah, like she was not gaining weight. She was crying now more often. Um, spitting and up. spitting up. Yeah. And she kept doing this arching of her back, like mm-hmm. which we had never had a baby do that, just arching, always arching her back um, and screaming. And then just wasn't a great sleeper. And I was just exhausted and really emotional. Of course, just the hormones and everything and just it was just so hard. And Prince just kept saying, you know, I think you should look into just getting a lactation consultant. But I just thought, Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Like I thought, well, I don't know how they're going to help me out online. And I don't want anyone here. And I just thought like, I knew I was trying like everything I was learning. I thought I'm learning so much online and I'm trying it all like maybe. And, and I didn't want to spend the money. (laughs) I just kept being like, I don't want to spend the money. 
I feel bad. Like, you know, everything is just expensive. We weren't expecting a NICU stay and all of that. And I just didn't want to spend the money. But finally he just kept saying, look, you just need to, he just kept encouraging me. So finally I, like I say, I I had been following a lot of different, you know, one Instagram leads you to all different things. And Jacqueline, you just stood out. Like you were just, I mean, the content and the look of just your Instagram page and your website is so good. You also, the fact that you had developed a a supplement to help boost breast milk. I don't know. You just seem so scientific and you're watching all of your videos and you just seemed so much more knowledgeable and, but just very gracious. I just liked that you weren't like, it's all about breastfeeding. And if you don't do breastfeeding, then you're not doing it. And I just, yeah, I just loved just your tone and everything. And, and so I went with you, which I think Prince thought I was going to go with someone cheaper. And (laughs) it was was just like, I know, I know this is who I have to go with, you know? And so we met virtually and when you came on, yes, I did. I felt like this person I've been following and like, you've been helping me. I felt like you were just this friend, but this celebrity, when you came on, we met with you at like eight o'clock in the evening. It was, she was almost like exactly four weeks old, I think to that day. Yeah. Um, And I think she wasn't quite like where she would have been full term. Right. That's what I remember. Yeah. Right. It It was like, she exactly. It was like when she was about ready, when she should have been born. Right. You had us um, do breastfeeding. You watched that. You said the latch looked okay. And like all the things seemed to be okay. But then you said, let's look inside. And so we did a video and then you, you know, assessed that she had a posterior tongue tie, a fairly significant posterior was tight tongue tie and said, I think you really need to go see your pediatrician about this and see what they say. But it really does look like it's pretty significant and that's going to really affect your breastfeeding. So am I remembering all this right? Yeah. And I was just thinking to myself, I think there was a series of issues. It was not just the tongue tie. Of course, you were struggling with the latching. You're not convinced of it. She was also, you were getting, I think uh, your your nipples were getting bruised. Um, And you were not getting enough enough supply. Yeah. Mm also watching Ruby and how she's responding and seeing her screaming and she's, you know, spitting out a lot and she can't sleep and she spits out in the bed. And, you know, we would have to hold her up for so, for so long before we put her down just to give her a chance to you know, let the milk go, go through her gut. And so there's all these issues. And so we really could not discern what the problem was. And I think, Heidi, I remember even before we we scheduled the call with you, she cont- she would say, "I think she has a tongue tie. I, th- I wonder if she has a tongue tie because she has all this and the lip this, tie. Yeah, like that. she has all these symptoms that are typical of tongue ties. Everything I've read online, it says it's a tongue tie. And honestly, I didn't believe her. I mean, I thought she was obsessed about it because she would spend hours and hours online just looking at different resources." And I could tell that she was just so frustrated about this all. And, and that once she's not able to breastfeed the way she would have, she hoped she would, she's not getting the supply. She's doing everything. I mean, she was drinking, you know, she was trying so all kinds of things to do and she was drinking as much as she could. And it was just not, nothing was working out. And so I think talking to you, there was just a lot that needed to be, to, to bring some level of clarity and, and, clear out all the confusion. And I think it was that time, it was the first time that 
I heard someone else say, I think she has a tongue tie. Because up until then, it was Heidi who was telling me that she has a tongue tie. And so mm-hmm. you, you can keep going, but I just thought that was- Yeah. I, well, I want to say I, I loved from the get-go that, Prince, you were very involved. And I see that make such a big difference for a lot of families in terms of the outcome. And when someone is going through the things Heidi was going through, it's really easy to get burnt out with all of that, not just how things are going, but racking your brain, trying to research and find Mm -hmm. that answer. Right. And so it's like, she did as much as she could have done herself, but you came in and recognized, Hey, maybe you can't do anymore and we should have someone else, you know, be a part of this. And I really like that you advocated that for her because there's so many times where I'll have a conversation with someone who is in a similar place and they want help, but then they go, yeah, my husband, you know, doesn't really want to spend the money or he just says, well, let's just get formula. Mm-hmm. And it's heartbreaking to hear when people don't have that support. So you played yeah. a big role in this Prince and you were, we were able to look in Ruby's mouth that day because you were there to help with the camera going in the right place and and getting Ruby in the right position so that I could do that visual assessment with you. So I appreciate you is all I wanted to say. I was just being selfish. I wanted my wife back. (laughs) (laughs) I had lost my wife. Like she's miserable help. (laughs) Yeah. It was so validating to have somebody say what I was thinking because it's just, you just need someone to kind of confirm that. And you just feel like I'm not crazy. Like I'm not crazy. And when we went then after we met with you, we then immediately went to see our pediatrician. And that's when he said she isn't gaining the weight at the rate that she should. And he was really sweet. I just told him, look, I know that this is not a common thing, this tongue tie, but I've had two kids. I've breastfed two kids something is different. And he actually like finished my sentence. He said, something's different. And I said, yeah, it is. And I really appreciated that. But he said, okay, I I believe you. And I, I just was thankful that like he could see it, but he didn't really know what to do about it being that we're here in Uganda. And so he said, okay, well, why don't you go see this pediatric surgeon? So that set us off on a journey of seeing a pediatric surgeon that he recommended, and that didn't really turn out well. And then we went to see another one that someone recommended, and that was a very distressing experience. Um, Just, I won't go into all of that. We then saw another pediatric surgeon that someone saw. Then we saw, we went back to him and said, we've gone to three different different surgeons. And one of them, I remember looking at her and saying, I think there's a tongue tie there, but he didn't think it was that serious and so he thought i don't feel like i don't feel comfortable doing anything about this come back after a few months yes, say, yeah, yeah and we'll review it uh but at that point i mean ruby was having this like a lot of acid reflux and you just felt so bad for her seeing the pain, her, that, the she pain that she was in and you know sometimes you just felt helpless you didn't know how to comfort her mm-hmm. um, so we went back to the pediatrician and just told him everybody has turned us down they don't think they either don't see it or they don't think it then we went to another one and he looked and said no way this baby does not have a tongue tie never looked in the mouth ever all three of them never did and then said i actually think she might have cerebral palsy i mean i just like i literally laughed 
I just thought you cannot throw that massive of a diagnosis out. Just like, Oh, I think she has cerebral palsy. (laughs) It just was like, there was nothing as a mom at that time that I could do other than just like, I was so thankful. I'd done so much research because it was just like, Oh my goodness. That's wild. I remember when you told me that that. because I was like, well, I, I have exhausted my network of trying to find people in your country. And I was trying to give you some strategies of who to look for questions to ask. And then you came back with that. And I was like, I mean, I'm no doctor, but I just can't see cerebral palsy as a diagnosis there. But I'm glad that you, you definitely weren't swayed by that because that was just crazy to me. And you, yeah, obviously. We went, we did go to a pediatric neurologist. We're like, well, you know, she did right. have a place where she lost oxygen. We don't know. So at this point, I think she was probably, was she at maybe three months or yeah. I think getting close to two months, yeah. two and a half. So we went to see, and he tested her and said, no, I, I think actually he said, I do think she has more of a tongue tie. Yeah. The acid reflux is from that, but didn't really have much help for us in that. Yeah, and actually it was very helpful because I remember he picked out a few other things because he said she had like a high arched palate, mm-hmm. which at that point, who was the first one who told us who recognized that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So his visit, even though it was, you know, thankfully it was not cerebral palsy, his visit was helpful. Yeah. And this and was then, the neurologist, right? Yeah, the pediatric neurologist. Yeah. I, I have to say you guys actually found some pretty good doctors along the way because even in the U.S., where it's, I think, more accepted that it's recognized and, and diagnosed to have a tongue tie in a baby, none of those types of professionals you mentioned would diagnose a tongue tie, most likely. So you heard it from these doctors that I'm shocked they even had the awareness. I thought that was such a blessing, actually, yeah. even yeah. if they didn't know what to do about it or, you know, recommend treatment. Yeah. yeah. Then we went to see one more pediatric surgeon and she, we a just, younger one, a younger yeah. one. She was really gracious to me. A mom, as a mom herself, yeah. yeah. But she just then looked at it and then just got out her kit and just went and cut. Yeah, <laughs> I was just like, like deal with it right away. <laughs> wait, wait now. Like it was so shocking. And yeah. yet I knew that she didn't really get that. It was a posterior, like that was going to be a bit more involved than just your anterior you know, tongue tie that you just clip and go. And so she did that. And then, and I think she did clip she the did, upper uh, frenum, the upper lip frenum. And interesting, I just want to backtrack. I mean, I, I was a dental hygienist. I went to dental hygiene school and the only training that we got on tongue ties and upper lip ties was that it can cause recession, certainly down in the lower lingual area. And then the upper, and also that it can cause a diastema. That was the only training we ever knew about tongue ties and lip ties and what they, they cause. And so, you know, here it was, I'm interested in that, but I had no concept of how much this would affect breastfeeding and just, you know, growth and all of all that goes along with it. And while you're going through all these, you know, various surgeons and doctors, what is happening with breastfeeding in the background with Ruby? So where we kind of landed was that breastfeeding, I was, I then Prince was so sweet and just researched pumps, pumps. That was just, I couldn't even handle that. So my husband did all the research on the spectra and the Medela and all of the other ones. And he ended up just ordering one for me with bigger nipple shields and bought like lots of extra options just so that we just guessed, we kind of used some online ways to measure, but just 
ordered extra ones. Oh, he's such a star and a, and a pumping bra and just got me all set up. And so, um, it was shipped over, spent so much money on that. And Mm -hmm. I just started pumping all the time. I was just pumping and pumping. And what I would do with her is I would have her breastfeed. I tried to breastfeed for about, I would try to get up to eight minutes on, uh, you know, one side, she would generally fall asleep. Her jaw just like she'd slide off and we'd relatch and she would just fall asleep right away. By by five minutes, she was sound asleep. Then you would get, lift her up, burp her, and she would just be like starving. So we would do the other side. And then at that point, once I had at least tried to stimulate myself as best as I could with her, then I would just feed her with the bottle. But the reflux was just uh, that's another thing. Just the options of getting bottles was very difficult yeah. for us. At first, we she was breastfeeding and then topping her off with what she had pumped. But that didn't seem to help with the reflux. And so we thought maybe it's because of the breastfeeding. So then we stopped breastfeeding. And all she did was give her pumped breast milk. Mm-hmm. But that didn't help either. And then we got bottles. Some actually, it was really... I forget how I got them. It was uh, the Avent bottles because um, we thought maybe she's getting a lot of gas and there's these special Avent bottles for colic, anti-colic. So we got those and we say giving her breast milk with those bottles, but still didn't help with acid reflux. And then finally, I think at four and a half months or maybe five at months, three, three and months. We stopped completely at three, at three months. That's when we, we switched stopped to recipe and went totally to formula. Yeah. We went to formula because we noticed with formula, the acid reflux was not as severe mm-hmm. and, and that's why we, we did it. Yeah. I think it's that yeah. right before that I had mm-hmm. a conversation with you and you just were you talking about and I was just devastated. Like I could not, I remember leaving you a 12 minute message on WhatsApp and I was sobbing and sobbing and just like, I'm exhausted. I so desperately want to breastfeed my child. I'm so afraid of this and this and this and this, like, I'm so afraid we won't be bonded, but I just cannot keep up with the pumping. And I, you know, I felt like I was letting everyone down. I felt like I was letting you down. I felt like all this stuff, it was just like, I was taking the weight of the world that I was not meant to carry on me. And so feeling like Ruby was, her health was not going to be good. And all this ideas of like not being able to be bonded with my child. And I had Prince just being like, it's become too big. Like it's ruining you. Like it's controlling you. It's becoming this idol that you're just worshiping, you know, and I'm fearful for where you're at, you know, and I, I just want you to know, like have freedom with me that I think you're doing fine. Like, I think you're doing an awesome job and it's okay if you give her formula. And, but I couldn't take that from him. And then my aunt Maddie, you know, she, she was talking with her, my aunt back in America. And she was saying, you know, I, this is like 40 years ago. I gave my daughter like formula and she was fine. And then my mom would say like, I fed you formula and you turned out fine. Like you're going to be fine. At what cost is this? And finally I left you that message and you just, Jacqueline, you were so gracious. You'll always have a special place in my heart. I just think lactation consultants, not all of them are just angels walking around to these crazy emotional moms. And you were just like, you have a family. I, I, I'm a lactation consultant. I'm all for breastfeeding. But I also think it's not, it's not for everyone. And it's not for all time. Like at what point, you know, like you, you have two kids, you have a family at 
is it really that important to lose your family, to lose your sleep, to lose your health, to just be breastfeeding? You know, like, I think you've done great, but there are different circumstances with Ruby. And at this point, we still, we had finally hit a wall. We, we had met with every possible surgeon, ENT, everything. And we had hit a wall and our pediatrician said, I think there is no one that can help you. You need to cross borders. You need to go to either South Africa or you need to go back to America. That's your option. And then when I had that message with you and you were just like, you need to have grace for yourself. You've done well. Like you've made it this far, but like, don't kill yourself over this. Basically you said it in so many nice ways, but I'm just paraphrasing it all. And I, that was what I needed, Jacqueline. It's what I needed to just say, okay, like, yeah, we're just going to call that quits. You know, we, we did our best, but I'm fighting a battle here. If I could just be back in America and I could just run into somebody's pediatric dentist office and, and have a CO2 laser, just, you know, wing ding that and be done. And I get some therapy and we cut it and we, we, we could do this, but, and I remember you saying, look, I can help you you know, if you were to get a surgery, I could help you relactate, but really it's a ton of work. And do you really want to put that much time and effort away from your family to get the lactation going again? And it was just what I needed to hear to just bring some perspective. So my husband thanks you as well. Like I couldn't hear him. (laughs) I couldn't hear my own aunt who I love or my mom who I adore. I couldn't hear everyone and all their encouragement. I never received discouragement. It was me that I was beating myself up. Everybody was so supportive and they were like, Ruby's going to be fine. And I just needed to hear it from you, the professional. And I needed to hear it from a lactation consultant saying, we love to help moms learn how to breastfeed and have a successful breastfeeding journey, but it may not work every time. And that's okay. And your baby's going to be fine. And we started doing formula and that really helped with the acid reflux. And, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, were you giving her something in that to help with the reflux also? That's true. I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. yeah. So it wasn't the formula itself. I mean, it, you know, it was part of it, but it was also this uh, medicine, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. It's a good memory. Yeah. And that really actually, we used that for a long time. We did. All that the way until helpful. the surgery. That's right. Um, you did use that for a long time because it was helping her. Yep. That was another thing. So we wanted to get an acid reflux medication. I think at some point people were giving their babies renitidine. That was the one. And then I don't know if there was other ones, but then renitidine has been recalled and like taken off the market. So it was not around. And our doctor, like he just on every level was like refusing to give us medication, prescription medication. Like we we're desperate for him to say yes to that. And he wouldn't, he just kept saying, I want you to give her this Gaviscon. It's like kind of thickens the milk a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it really, that helped a yeah, lot. It didn't yeah. solve it, but it definitely brought us her some relief and us some relief because watching your child, like projectile, everything that you've just given her projectile spitting up every time just is so disheartening as a mom, like Princeton. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Like it was just so disheartening for me. And then this is screaming. I'm Prince held her upright for basically five months. I just he said he still wow. has like a he has like a cold muscle. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. So, constant to be able to ever get yeah. her to be able to sleep. Because even with the medication, 
you still, if you didn't hold her up and give her, you know, 30 minutes before you put her down, it still would all come out. And right. then she would acid reflux. So you had to, you had to do it. And so. he, it was hard for, I just lean on him so much. I was so thankful when my first baby with Naomi, a friend of mine said, look, remember, this is his baby too. Cause we, as moms can be like, it's my baby. It's my baby. I carry this baby and I'm the breastfeeder and I know everything. She was like, it's his baby. So remember, trust him, like allow him to fail. She said, my husband packed the diaper bag yes. one time to church and forgot diapers. But who cares? <laughs> Nobody died. The baby didn't die. He didn't do it perfect, but you know what? It's his baby. And like, he should have the freedom to grow in his parenting skills, you know, like trust him. Like even when he's not trustworthy, give him the space. So I really leaned into Prince. And in some ways he knows our baby so much better than I do. He's so calm. I'm like, <laughs> what? He and he's just like, and Prince just comes in. Like, I got this, just, you know, watches just. this baby stares at them, study, like studies them. He, it's just like shocks me at how well he knows our girls. And I love that. I, I rely on that. And so I think what you just said is actually, we could do a whole episode about that because I think there is some role of, of the maternal hormones that kind of drive us to be a bit possessive of parenting sometimes, but then to have that partner that can, can recognize that and be that steady force and just be there. And, and then you having someone directing you to allow him to be that co-parent with you. That's really powerful because he may not have been able to convince you on his own. And when we allow, like you said something about allowing him to fail and you know, you're not perfect either. Right? <laughs> None of us yeah. are. And that's what yeah. we don't recognize, but this fear of, cause you, you want it to be right. So you just, you want to, you know, maybe if you can direct everything, it'll be correct. But when you allow him to fail, you allow him to be a better parent. So this fear of not that he's not a good parent, but right. Like you yeah. just allow your partner to be that better parent when you let them figure it out on their own. So yeah. I love that. And letting the girls, or if you have a son, you know, letting them bond with your daddy, letting them build their relationship. Like they have a very yeah. different relationship with their daddy than they do with me. And it should be that way, you know? And I, I mean, hats off to moms who are single moms. I don't know how it's just a grace that God, God gives to moms who are single moms or yeah. So I, I, I am really thankful that I do lean into that. And then also just with her acid reflux, she was like physically in pain on my chest because my breasts would be pushing into her little tummy as I would hold her. And so the only person that she really found relief with was him because he's got this flat chest, this big, comfortable, warm, cuddly, you know, big daddy to just rest on. And it was like, I felt bad for him because he was actually like getting so little sleep because he was the one really, I would do like, oh, well, he would do the feeding too, paste feeding and all of that, but like just resting on that big straight chest to allow her to have some relief. And mm -hmm. every time I would hold her, it would just be pressing into her and she would scream and scream. And I was just like, Oh, I feel bad. I'm her mom. I'm supposed to be comforting her, but like these boobies are just hurting her and she needs her daddy. And so I think just my encouragement, yeah, to moms, just be okay to like 
we, like you say, I fail all the time and he's gracious to let me fail with our kids. And I need to be, allow him to learn our kids and, and to be able to fail and make those mistakes. And we really pull together and are able to work together as a team. I need his strengths and he needs my strengths. And we learn from each other's weaknesses and we can shore up each other's weaknesses. I'm just really thankful for that. But yeah. So you, yeah, you transitioned to formula and I remember you leaving me another long voice message, um, about that. And you felt better about it, but you still were like, you know, because she was having the reflux and there was this general level of unease with her. So yeah, we can talk about that and where you went next. Yeah. So, I mean, breastfeeding then had to dry up, which is a, a really sad place that brings a lot of emotions, but finally the fog lifted. I think once the hormones kind of finally settled and the breast milk was dried up and it was like what we decided, but she still was, yeah, having the acid reflux. And one thing that we really noticed was how tight her body was, which is another thing. She was just like, she was so tense. Like her arms were in a constant like fight position, like curled up her neck. Like she had those deep, deep furrows, which were all red and infected. She was, we were constantly fighting wounds in her neck because of the deep neck furrows. And then of course, getting all the spit up in it. And I mean, we were putting desitin in her neck creases to just try and like help. It was like diaper rash because she was so tense and, you know, wasn't here. She was coming to like four months, five months. When do babies kind of start sitting up? There was no sitting up. Like she wasn't even close to sitting up and you're seeing your friend's babies that are kind of that age, like doing so much more. So just the tension, the not great sleeping. Her nap schedules were not great during the day. She was a pretty good night sleeper. Interesting. Thankfully. Yeah. Thankfully we were like marking all the signs like on every, I was, you know, on Dr. Baxter's website for the Alabama tongue tie clinic and Dr. Zaghi. And I was reading, you know, from the Sarah, Sarah Hornsby about just breathing in the palate and like having your tongue. It's not about getting your tongue to stick out, but really being able to lift your tongue up to the palate and to get that seal. And with Ruby, she's always clicking on the bottle, dribbling everywhere. Every sign and symptom was still really there. And it was so labored watching her feed. Even through a bottle, it would take like an hour. It was just so exhausting for her. You could see how, so I think sometimes she would not even be satisfied she's not full but she's just exhausted from the feeding that she needed to sleep yeah and i remember many times where i would just be feeding our bottle and you could tell this how much effort she's putting into this and i don't remember seeing my other kids spending this much on a bottle and she'll be sweating so i think all those because at some point it was like a full-time job just to feed her i felt like i couldn't get anything done because of every feeding session was so long. It was. It took two hours sometimes to get it all done, every feed. And, and I think also just we almost moved on from the whole tongue-tie issue because we had no options. And so I think we thought we, we just have this is part of what she has. And just, you know, other kids probably, there's so many out there that live with this. So I remember 
kind of just settling and realizing this is just going to be a part of our life. We need to move on because we don't have options for this. But I couldn't settle. Um, but yeah, you couldn't settle. And every time we went to the pediatrician as well, he felt the pain that we were, you know, we were, we had. And I think he wanted to help, but he didn't know how to help. And he would encourage us to look for options elsewhere. Mm-hmm. I think that's when I started doing the research. Yeah. So we are going to have to take a pause right here because there's still so much more to come. And right now, at this point in their journey, it sounds like things are hopeless. It sounds like poor little Ruby is just going to be suffering and she is just going to be this high needs baby that they're just going to have to learn to deal with. But I promise you, things do turn a corner. So make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so you get a notification when part two of this episode goes live because things get really interesting. Heidi and Prince learned so much and they share all of it with you and the show notes are chock full of great information as well, especially if you live in a country where it might be hard to access this type of treatment or um, specifically if you do live on the African continent and are looking for some great help. So make sure you're subscribed and stay tuned. See you on the next episode. Did you know most moms stop breastfeeding in the first month postpartum? I believe succeeding at breastfeeding means having the right mindset. In fact, Studies show that the number one factor that determines breastfeeding success is commitment, which is why I've created my incredible audio download of breastfeeding affirmations, where I give you actionable mantras so you can breastfeed your baby with confidence and peace of mind. And best of all, it's free. To get access to this audio and PDF, simply visit holisticlactation.com slash mantras, and you can get started right now.